welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me always is Lieutenant Colonel Chris Stashew. I prefer to go by the name I was given, Colonel. Colonel Schrader. Lieutenant. You know, it's like Lieutenant. It's a good one. On this episode, we were talking about three episodes, like we do. We're talking about Hot Dogs, which aired originally December 11th, 1975. Protection, which was December 18th, 1975. Then you get a little bit of a Christmas break in there, and you get Happy New Year, which aired January 8th, 1976. Chris, what did you think of Hot Dogs? This is an interesting episode, because there is a very touching and heartfelt moment towards the end but there's also the issue of the two characters played by janelle allen and Nellie bellflower who despite their hemming and hawing are still treated like the women the characters in the show believe that they are and it's a kind of a problem but at the same time they did break the rules so there is that it's not a terrible episode. I don't know. It's okay. It, it's kind of just stock and trade of the way that this show has handled its female characters from just billing them in the credits to, you know, someone like Wentworth coming back several times. So it kind of is in this middle ground of like how they've treated female characters before and maybe the direction they might be moving, hopefully. What about you? What do you think, Mike? Well, I was very bummed, actually, because the person that uh, these two cops, Officer Turner and Officer Carney, the hot dogs of the title, I kept waiting for regular hot dogs to show up at some point. I could really go for a hot dog. There are two female cops who are staking out, they're undercover, they're pretending that they're students, and they're busting this guy at a college. And what made me sad was that David L. Lander, who plays David Gordon in this, was the guy that they busted, and he just passed away in real life maybe, what, two weeks ago from when we're recording this, so. Squiggy. Squiggy, yeah. Can we say that The Simpsons predicted his death? He didn't get smashed by a house, though. Do you remember that episode of The Simpsons? You know what I'm talking about? No, I can't say I remember that. There was an episode of The Simpsons where, like, it was around the time that Big Brother existed, or still existed, but it was, like, first introduced, and so they had the Simpsons characters go and live in a Big Brother-style house with all of the family members as kind of the participants, and halfway through, they were like, this isn't exciting enough. We need to add a, you know, like a B-level or C-level celebrity. So they had David L. Lander as Squiggy in the episode, and then he dies at the end. And so, like, that's all I ever think of when I think of him, because unfortunately for me, I don't have a frame of reference for the TV show, Laverne and Shirley. Hello, Squiggy. Why is the guy from Laverne and Shirley living in our house? Because nobody's watching you clowns. If you was to ask me, you're all too calm and happy. The essence of drama is conflict. That's why they gave me this taser. (laughs) When you said Big Brother existed, I was like, what, like Orwell? Like 1984? <laughs> yes, that also exists, but in real life. <laughs> it took me a little while to remember. But yes, it was an episode in 2002 called Helter Shelter, where he reprised his role as Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. I was really with The Simpsons up until about the fifth or sixth season, and then after that, it, I kind of tapered off. Before someone corrects me because I am wrong... It was a TV show where they were trying to live the same way a family did in the 1800s. Oh, okay. That's the joke. That's the joke. Uh, I think their house is getting, like, fumigated or something. But it is unfortunate because, yeah, he did just recently pass away. And I think he's kind of underutilized in this episode. 
He's kind of just one of the dudes behind the cell again. Though he gets all the laugh lines. Like, they're constantly cutting to him for reactions. Yeah, and he's good. He's great. So is Hal Linden, as always. So is uh, Abe Vigoda talking about uh, fucking and losing weight through fucking. Which was amazing. Yeah, he actually has sex with his wife, I think. At least they insinuate that he does. So He lost four pounds. And you know what else? I didn't hate Luger in this episode. No, this is more like the Luger that I know. This is not the drunk, uh, racist Luger. Like, even when he's talking with- Is he drunk, though? Well, he seemed drunk in the earlier episodes. No, I know, but like, is he meant to be drunk, or is that just a choice that James Gregory made? I'm asking you what you think. I think that's a choice. Okay. It's a really specific choice. I was surprised that he doesn't get a Polish joke in on Wojciechowicz uh, when he's talking to him. Well, he does later. Do you know what I didn't realize about James Gregory? And this is this is going to blow your mind that I didn't realize this, that he played one of the apes in Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. General Urso? Ursus, yeah. Ursus. Oh, okay. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because, like, every time I look at him, I was like, he looks really familiar. But, like, for some reason, I guess I didn't scroll far enough down on his IMDb page because, oh, by the way, he has, like, 185 credits. But now I will not be able to see him with, <laughs> without thinking of his character from Planet of the Apes. But he's great in this episode, thank God, because he's been so awful and just kind of abrasive the last four or five times we've seen him. They have him around to basically be awful in this mm -hmm. because he's there to discipline well he's disciplining barney but also disciplining these two hot dog cops what really made me laugh was when chano comes in because chano was already on this case and so basically they busted david gordon underneath chano and he was going for gordon's superiors he wanted to go and like break up the entire drug ring and I appreciated that he was getting names from Gordon and then going out and got more names. And then at the end, he's got, what, like six pages worth of names. And they just go, yeah, throw it over to Vice. Let them do their job. It's it's a good episode. You know, we haven't really mentioned the character of Mr. Victor, played by Howard Honig. That's for a reason, because it's kind of its own self-contained plot with Wojciechowicz. I really liked that plot, especially when it gets to the way it's resolved, because it's it's a lot more introspective than this show has ever gotten. And I really like it. So the setup is Howard Honig plays a character who believes that his wife is Jean Harlow, but he only believes it because I, I assume that like there's like family trouble at home and that's kind of what's going on. And he's like retreating into his own little special world where everything's still OK and, like, him and Barney have a really heartfelt conversation at the end of the episode. And I really liked it because, again, this show doesn't really go in that direction very often. The last time that it did was when Gregory Sierra and Hal Linden had that kind of heartfelt moment at the end of the first season when Sierra kills or Chano kills one of the kind of the, the bad guys, a robber or something. And it's like when they're these quieter moments, it's really nice. Yeah, I was very curious when they were looking at this photo because he brings in a photo of his missing wife and they're just like, this woman looks familiar. And finally they figure out that it's Gene Harlow. And I love that his kids are what Mickey Rooney and Freddie Bartholomew. I was just like, Oh, that's kind of neat. He has like his whole fantasy world. I can't remember if it's Luger or somebody says, just like take him and dump him off at Bellevue. But instead, Luger says. yeah, but instead Barney's got the heart as always. 
because Barney is a stand-up character, almost to a fault. Yeah, that was that was a very nice uh, story. I mean, that was also great use of Wojohowicz as well. Yeah, you know, I've kind of noticed recently, it feels like well, they don't know what to do with Wojohowicz, and he just exists for people to make fun of him or have his name be the punchline. And hold your horses, folks. We're about to see two episodes that traffic, and his name is Wojohowicz. Isn't that weird? Like, oh dear, here we go. It's spelled just <laughs> like it sounds. Yeah, he says that in two separate episodes. (laughs) Back to back, too. Like, you've got to mine something else, because Max Gale is a pretty funny actor with some good comedic timing. He's no Jack Sue, but who is? God, yeah, Jack Sue can just kill with a look. And in these later two episodes, he's given a lot more to do than we've kind of seen up until this point. So the timeline in Barney Miller is just all over the place. We talked last month about how we were in the bicentennial, even though it was 1975 when the episode came out, and it was fall of 75, so we're nowhere near July when this is happening. And we've gone from an earlier episode in this season called Heat Wave. Now we are in one where it's called Protection, but we are freezing our asses off inside of the precinct. Yeah, their furnace isn't working. Go figure. Everything goes wrong in that 12th precinct. That was the other thing, going back to the previous episode for a second. When Barney is like, who are you guys to the to, to the two lady cops? It was almost like a Philip K. Dick kind of situation. I was thinking of Decker when he goes into the police station in the book of Can Android Stream of Electric Sheep. And it's like a whole other police station. And, and it's existing in the same time as his police station. So I was just like, right. oh, there are more cops that work in the 12th precinct on other floors. And I guess we're supposed to realize that that's what's happening, that like, the plainclothesmen are upstairs and then the uniforms are downstairs because I guess these two female cops went out plain clothes to bust the, the drug dealer, but they really should have been in uniform and, you know, like writing tickets and doing all that kind of stuff. Doing female work. Yeah, exactly. Typing, fixing coffee, people at home don't be mad at me because that's what they throw out as far as like, oh, these are the female jobs. Yeah, it's not. This is not us speaking. Obviously, <laughs> there's no female representation in this next episode. Protection. It is an all male outing, and uh, Ray Sharkey is in it though. Who uh, you were just talking about on the projection booth on Dubidio? Yeah, that was nice to see, and he's got a great role in this. I was very happy to see him. He's the guy that. Come on, lock me up! Come on, lock me up! Come on, I've done something wrong! Come on, lock me up! I mean, he's annoying as all fucking get out, <laughs> but it's still pretty funny. It is funny because he robs a store that's under mob protection. They don't really ever say the mob in this episode either. The, those people. Those people. Anthony Borelli, who just happens to have a very insanely Italian last name. His name could have been Boyardi for all I care. I mean, again, we know who you're going for. And we know the only real organized crime in the 70s in New York that these guys are dealing with are going to be either gangs or the mob. And with a name like Borelli, it's not a gang. It's the mob. This also plays into a very famous time when, because we've had this storyline twice now about the precinct possibly closing down this really plays right into the whole ford new york city drop dead you know the the famous headline from i think it was the daily news where it's just you know the city's going to go bankrupt and they actually play part of 
Ford's speech in this saying like, yeah, I'm not going to give any extra money to these cities. And it's just like, whoa. But then he does say that he will give money to the police force and things just to keep, you know, the structure going. Uh, so at least these guys get to keep their jobs. The state has done all it can. The city has done and is committed to do in the months ahead more of what we've done. And if the federal government does not help us, I think it will find the problem afterwards, which it would have to help us with, much more serious. Hashtag defund the police. Now, if they were giving more money to Barney's wife and the social workers of the city, then things might be different. Yeah, but, like, why are they working when the cops could just be shooting the people that they're supposed to be protecting? That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's true. You know, this is the first time, speaking of the Anthony Borelli character, uh, this is the first of seven appearances for Ralph Monza. Uh, so, and the next two appearances, he's actually going to be playing characters that return with the same character. They must have liked him. I've definitely seen him around, though not made up to look as old as he was. Yeah, he looks a little ridiculous. Yeah, a little bit. And I did like his uh, bodyguard just kind of hanging around. I don't I don't know about you, but I didn't seem to understand the Anthony Borelli character because they say like, oh, Wojohowicz is at back at his old bullshit again. What is that? Like that he's just like looking into old case files? What I could figure was that Wojo somehow thought that Borelli was an active member of the mob, but he was bringing in some really old timer member of the mob and that he had gotten his name out of the old case files. But I don't know. Yeah. To your point, the jokes don't add up there for me. It doesn't work very well and it doesn't work very well because they don't explain it. And if they had explained it even a little bit better than they did, because they, again, they kind of just throw away line, explain it. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, Wojo's back to his old bullshit again. And it's like, but like, but why? Why is just because he, like, found a name? Like, it makes sense. I mean, you never hear anything past, like, the names that he mentions. You know, Barney says, oh, we should look into those names. But whatever. Like, it's it's a weird it's a weird addition to this story because it doesn't go anywhere. And it's not particularly funny. They do make a couple references to The Godfather. That was kind of nice. That was right around the time. You know, I uh, think Godfather 2 was, what, the year before this. Godfather 1 was two years before that. So... Oh, the little one. You know, the little one. Oh, you mean Corleone? Okay. Ha ha ha. <laughs> of the three episodes, this is the one that I liked the least. Because it just, doesn't, nothing happens. The only thing that I liked in it was that we got to see, who was it, Mr. Cotterman, the store owner that I think we saw back in the apartment episode, the stakeout. Yeah, because he plays the same character several times. Seven episodes, actually. Okay. So it must be a local neighborhood store that they're talking about. Yeah, there uh there's four more yeah, four more episodes with him. So he was on the show six times, excuse me, not seven. So there you go. I mean, again, it's nice to have reoccurring characters, even if they're not, you know, reoccurring as much as they maybe should be. <laughs> so let's move on to the final one this uh episode, Happy New Year, in which we are taking place right before the new year, even though the episode dropped a little bit afterwards. When you say right before, you mean literally this episode takes place on New Year's Eve. Exactly. We've got Nick talking about how he's making a, um, a New Year's resolution where he's not going to make any more coffee. 
So again, playing into that coffee joke you're talking about like two or three episodes ago. Yeah, now they're finally fully embracing the coffee thing, which is is great because it's a funny gag and you can you can see Jack Sue like trying not to corpse when he's talking because like he's clearly coming up with jokes on the fly. You can see him trying not to corpse. You can see Ron Glass trying not to corpse. By the way, I don't know if 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 I'm explaining something to you, I'll explain it for the sake of the audience. Corpsing is when you're is when you're in front of a camera and you're trying not to react sincerely. You're trying to do your job. And you can tell Ron Glass is trying not to laugh in that initial interaction between him and Jack Sue. I had never heard the term corpse until you brought it up. You've never heard of corpsing before? Well, never until you brought it up, maybe just a few months ago. And then since then, I've heard it a bunch. It seems to be more of a British thing. It's also a wrestling thing because it happens a lot in like, it it essentially happens a lot whenever there's a camera pointed at you and it's live. I didn't realize it was a British thing. I've just heard it a lot when it comes to like wrestling. That's where I've heard it the most between you and British people. So I don't know if it's a British thing, but yeah, I was just listening to the commentary for with nail and I, and at one point Richard E. Grant loses it. And they were just like, Oh, here's Richard corpsing. It's like, okay. Yeah. Do you know what the best part of this episode is, Mike? What's that? The suicide? Uh, it's the fact that Barbara fucking Barry is actually in this fucking episode. I knew you'd be thrilled. I was thrilled because she's amazing. She's probably the best part of this show. <laughs> I mean, her and Hal Linden are so good together. I don't understand why someone didn't see that and go, she needs to actually be a series regular. Yeah, she was fantastic in this episode, and she's right there helping out with this pregnant shoplifter that comes in who's trying to shoplift stuff for her baby, and Barbara Berry's there trying to help deliver the baby. And I loved when they're trying to explain to her how to breathe, and uh, Chano's the only one that can translate, so it's like Hal Linden, Barbara Berry, and Gregory Sierra all doing the breathing stuff. That was making me laugh very much. This is the last time we'll see Barbara Barry for two years. Oh, my God. That doesn't seem possible. I know. I know. It's. It, I mean, we talked about it on the last episode. I don't want to get, again, down the rabbit hole too far. But that initial interaction between her and Hal Linden, when she shows up and she's like, you know, do we have enough time to fuck in your office? And, it, like, that is what this show needs. It needs that sensibility of, like, these are real people. Because that shows a side of Hal Linden we how Lyndon's Barney Miller we don't get to see we don't get to see what he's like with people other than the people he works with and that's only as far as I'm concerned half a character getting to see how he interacts with his wife it's pretty important for the growth of this character who we're going to spend another seven seasons with and it also helps that Barbara Barry is really good I mean everyone in this episode is great uh you know again Jack Sue and Ron Glass are pretty awesome together but even Wojohowicz is great I mean this is I would say that this is one of the better episodes of the show that we've seen. It hangs together so well, and it has some memorable side characters, but at the same time, the main story is rather compelling with the pregnant shoplifter. Though I do have to say, I pointed out the suicide person. That goes nowhere, and it was tough for me to even tell that the guy committed suicide at the end of the episode. I assumed that when Fish said you win one, you lose one, that's what he meant. That's really, I mean, again, that plays into the Fish character who is so cynical 
and so just kind of detach that like that's a perfect response for that character but like yeah that plot line goes nowhere what's the point well and he's like trying to get a hold of henry kissinger and trying to get a hold of like this jewish consulate and stuff it was like okay yeah sure they they could have dropped that completely because honestly it is a missed opportunity to not have fish in the precinct during the whole delivering of the baby it feels like a waste of his time to not have him there because this is one of the few episodes we've seen where the entire precinct is working together towards one thing normally it is split up and this time it's split up i think to the detriment of this episode especially to the detriment of abe vagoda's character who i mean again i've professed it before i'll profess it again is probably one of my favorite if not my favorite thing about this show he should have been there with the other characters I mean, I liked the other criminals that are in this, the pickpocket. I really liked the pickpocket. I was hoping that the drunk was going to have his pockets picked. Uh, <laughs> I was really hoping for that. And I was hoping that the drunk would have been the guy interacting with Fish a little bit more. But that didn't happen. And Joseph Bova and uh, John Doolin do a good enough job. I mean, they're fun. Joseph Bova's character is a, you know, a caricature of a drunkard. <laughs> And the pickpocket is a caricature of a pickpocket, but they work. They, they they work in this episode. I don't think they would have worked without a compelling A plot because they are a very uncompelling C plot, I guess, technically the C plot. And I do like how Wojo steps up at the end and it's just like, hey, I should be the one to deliver this baby that, you know, he's had the most training. It's like, all right, cool. And I like him and Hal Linden when they're rushing into the room, they have their hands up. They just sanitize their hands so, to deliver the baby. That was pretty good. It really shows just everyone firing on all cylinders. Again, the biggest issue that I have with this episode is just if you're going to have everyone together at the precinct, make sure it's actually everyone. because. Abe Vigoda is such a big part of this show. He gets his own spinoff. And yet he's not here for this episode. Really? That's a shame. It's a real shame. But other than that, it's a, it's a perfectly fine episode. Again, really fun. Just one of the side plots just doesn't, doesn't do anything. And this is the last time we see Barbara Berry for two years. So. Which means in our timeline, that'll be quite a little while. Yeah, so this is 76, and the next episode that she is in is in 78, so extrapolating that out, that's like probably two or three, three years from now, four years from now. Put a pin in it. When when we return to it, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, life will be much different than it is now. <laughs> it's uh, It'll be a brave new world when we're talking about the fifth season of the show, so, because that's three seasons from now. That's how insane this is, like. Oh, man, what a shame. There's going to be new people. Landsberg is probably going to be more in the show. There will be uh, new characters to replace Chano. Because doesn't it end up being just Wojohowitz and Barney? And that's it, right? And Jack Sue until he passes away? I think Ron Glass as well. Yeah, so like you're, it's going to be all new characters, everything else. It'll be a vastly different show than the one we're talking about now when Barbara Barry comes back. And that'll be wild. So until then, Barbara Barry, you are dead to us. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go that. <laughs> it is weird, though. The next time, one of the next times, or I guess one of the times that she shows up, she actually shows up with uh, John Dolan again, him playing a different character. But he's also in that episode. So that's kind of kind of weird, kind of a weird synchronicity. But it's a good episode, nonetheless. 
So, Chris, what is happening in your world these days? Well, right now, just, uh, you know, getting over the post-holidays rush and uh, podcasting. So if you want to see the things that I work on, Christmas Claws on Twitter, that's it. That's where you can find me. What about you, Mike? What's uh, What's been keeping you busy over at the Projection Booth Podcast? We are doing musical month at the Projection Booth, so we are talking about things like Avita, Hair, Duets, and the Blues Brothers. So, And then also a bonus episode that we'll have with you and me, Chris, talking about the Bill and Ted films. Yes, that's right. Very excited for that. All three Bill and Ted films, because again, somehow in 2020, we got a third Bill and Ted movie. The saga continues. Yeah, boy, something like that. I want to thank John Walker for providing our theme music. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks especially to those few folks that have gone over to iTunes and rated and reviewed the show. Much appreciated. One of these days, maybe we'll get up there with, you know, I don't know, like the uh, the after show for The Bachelorette or something. One could dream, right? <laughs>